Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. We are continuing in the book of Esther. And this morning, I'm going to speak to you about Tiger Woods, a handful of mustard seed, Louis C.K., John the Baptist versus Jesus, and a perfect storm. All right. You know, we've been talking about destiny kind of throughout the book of Esther, and and we're going to continue doing that today. And a lot of times when we think of destiny, you know, we think of one big event, but I think sometimes destiny chooses us one day at a time. You know, you can look at someone like Tiger Woods and say, man, he was destined to be a pro golfer, but really... This began when he was just a baby. When he was 11 months old, he got a little toy golf club. And his dad would practice in the garage, just kind of swinging and practicing his drive. And one day when the dad was taking a break, Tiger went out there with his little toy club and started whacking the ball. And the dad said, wow, this is, this is amazing. This kid's really doing something. At Two years of age, he was on the Johnny Carson show because he was able to drive a golf ball better than most people. And so he commanded a a spotlight at a young, young age. At five years of age, no, at three years of age, he won a tournament, a nine-hole tournament for 10 and under, and he dominated it. Can you imagine being 10 and this three-year-old whoops you, right? It's like... Man, there goes the golf clubs. I'm done with this, right? At five years of age, he was shooting 18 holes at par. At five years of age. Okay, he was the youngest person to ever win the Masters at the age of 21, and he won it two years in a row, never been done. And so you could say, oh, this was his destiny, But you see, that spotlight of putting on that green jacket at the Masters, destiny didn't begin there. It began at 11 months and happened every day as he would practice. And it would become his destiny, but it showed up on a Monday morning just going to work. And I think it's important that we recognize this because Otherwise, we think that there's something for us and we don't realize that what is for us is shaping right now. It is taking place around us today before it's going to happen tomorrow. So turn with me to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. 
And it says, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, remember, there had been a decree by Haman to, to put to death basically all the Jews because Mordecai would not bow before Haman. And so there was this tension there. We talked about the tension last week between the Amalekites and the Jews. And now Mordecai hears this news of this decree that all the Jews are supposed to be put to death. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. The, The first thing we noticed is the clothing that Mordecai puts on, we can't help it because the writer makes an emphasis of this. And you see, what would take place is people would show their grief. They wouldn't just feel it, they would actually show it. And this still happens in many places of the world. You might see something on the news where there was a a tragedy and you see these people just carrying on in the streets. They're wailing and they're crying and there's a group of them. And we look at that and we think, oh man, what drama. They're just being so dramatic. But isn't that really how we feel? Isn't that when these tragedies that happen befall us or a country even, we want to express it in this way, but in the Western world, we have become strangely silent in these things. It was normal to wear your grief. And sackcloth is like burlap. So imagine taking off the downy soft, you know, cloth, cotton shirt, and putting on a gunny sack, putting on burlap, sleeping on that instead of your, you know, whatever bed you have, you know, your air, whatever, downy, soft bed. The whole idea is I'm going to have an outward expression of what's happening within me. We pay a price for the silence that we keep in. We don't realize it, but the grieving that we do not express goes inward, and we usually deal with it in our ability to communicate at times like that with the people who are around us because we are designed to relieve heartache in an expressive way. Tears are there for a reason. I was watching a preview to Thor um, this last week. Yes, I watched Thor, the God of Thunder. It's not idolatry. Um, And during one of the previews, I forget what movie it was, but it was one of those pull-on-your-heartstrings kind of movie, and I was there with my granddaughter, and I said, man, I'm almost crying in the previews. And she looked at me, and she goes, you're weak. (laughs) (laughs) You see, that's our mindset. I said, no, I'm not. You're weak. No, I didn't say that. That's our mindset. Crying is a sign of weakness when actually it's a sign of humanity. It's a sign that something is happening 
and we are needing to express it. And it's so interesting, this whole scenario, because here they are wearing the grief, but they can't go past the king's gate because there they don't want to see any grief. I don't want to see your problems, let alone hear about it. You keep your trouble outside. I want to live happy. I want to be immune from that because I don't like the way that feels. So I want to keep it as far away from me as possible. And so they setting a barrier where no one is allowed to come close to the king where he could see them mourning. He doesn't want to know about that. Right? And he's living such a unique and distant life. It doesn't connect to the people at all. Right? Much like some of the politicians we have today, right? I mean, they're just super wealthy and they're making laws for us who aren't super wealthy. Right? And it doesn't matter who they are. When they get to that area of president, they're worth millions, no matter who they are, no matter what they say. And you wonder, how do they relate to us? which is why I think Abraham Lincoln had such an appeal. He grew up in a log cabin, right? He came from the lower level and became the president. And here the king wants nothing to do with this grief touching them. But you see, there is no way to move past tragedy. There's no way to move past grief without going through it. I'm going to share a little video by Peter Rollins called A Handful of Mustard Seeds. Esther in this story, that's powerful. Esther in this story wants to reclothe Mordecai with something that takes away the image of grief. But her destiny is going to be to be drawn in actually to that grief. And we see this detachment between the king's gate and the people. And she is now on the other side of that gate and is wanting to change it superficially. But Mordecai won't have it. Verse 5 continues, Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So she hadn't even heard about this edict that all her people were going to be wiped out. So go inquire what this was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and commanded her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. It's interesting because Mordecai, again, is Esther's cousin, and he commands her to do something. He's still playing this role of the one who raised her. And he tells her she needs to do this, and he he shows the edict, and he, he has it written out, and he takes the problem to her, though it's not visually, it's written down so that she can actually see why he is in the condition that he is in. 
we see this continuance of their relationship as he's telling her what to do. But we also start to see Esther taking this role of the queen. She sends someone, she summons someone to go and talk to Mordecai. Remember, they're not able to see face to face because she's now in the king's harem. She's a part of his property, and she also is segregated from that outside world. He's living in his own bubble, and now she's a part of it. And so their conversation has to take place through this other person. And as the story unfolds, none of the characters in this story can see God at work. And once again, his name is not mentioned anywhere in this book. And oftentimes, neither can we see God at work in our lives because the storyteller isn't revealing it. It's not apparent. The destiny isn't understood. But we don't have to see God to know that he's here. We don't have to see God to know that he's working things in the midst of these situations. We can't possibly predict how he's going to rescue us, but we can't sit on our hands either and pretend that we have no part to play, that there isn't something that we're supposed to do. We, we learn to accept what we can't change and to accept God to use even what we can't change to work something that's good. Where are you in your journey where you feel like, I have no destiny, I, I cannot see any master's waiting for me. I don't know where I am going. And I just see the difficulty of where I'm at. And is your tendency to sit on your hands and say, I am helpless. Circumstances have taken over and I am no longer having an effect on these circumstances. Or are you going to recognize that Temporary suffering oftentimes is a process that leads to a deeper healing and a deeper work. And that to get to where we need to be, we have to go through where we are. And how we go through it will shape what happens on the other side of it. Continues in verse 9. Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. There's something awful that's being taken place here. There's something that it's hard to see all the underlining meaning here because it's out of our culture. But this is a very uh, chauvinistic scene 
And it has been the whole story, right? Uh, the king wants to parade Queen Vashti out for the people. And then they put her away because she won't be used as an object. And then they call all the beautiful virgins of the land to come and basically be a pageant for the king so that he could choose. And, and all these things are going on. And it's a ve- very sexually chauvinistic society that they're living in. Very unlike the society we live in today. You've all heard the news about Louis C.K. and all the things that are going on in Hollywood, right? And lest you think that it's all just, you know, these liberal people who are doing this, it's also happening for the Senate nomination, Roy Moore, who's supposed to be a staunch conservative, right? All these things are happening where people who have power abuse those privileges, And we're seeing it in the news today where all these men who have this kind of status or power are using it in very deviant ways to molest teenagers or to exploit women or men. And so we see this tendency to to push this power for their own gratification. And the story we have here is very similar. The king hasn't called for Esther. Well, why would he call for Esther? Well, because she's beautiful. Because she's part of his property. For 30 days. Well, what's he been doing the other 30 days? Well, he's probably been calling for the other girls in his harem. And we'll maybe touch on it a little bit more next week. But the idea, or a few weeks from now, the the idea of the scepter is, again, there's a lot of hidden meaning going on here. It has to do with his power as king and as a man. And so Esther felt that it was significant that she had not been summoned for a long period of time. In other words, I'm not really on his mind right now. I I don't have his, quote, favor. He's not lusting after me, so basically I'm putting my life on the line, just like all the Jews' lives are on the line. If she goes into him, she's a dead woman unless he longs for her. So her first response to Mordecai heightens the suspense. The suspense is focused on this one person, on Esther, and what's going to happen with them. And so the conversation between Mordecai and Esther continues. They, they have this kind of go through the messenger, send this out, tell them this is what's going to happen. I could die if I go in there. I can't just go in there. And so it continues in verse 13. Then Mordecai told them, Reply to Esther, do not think yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you know, and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold the fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. 
Then I will go to the king, though it be against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered them. We're seeing the reversal now. Mordecai had ordered Esther. Now Esther is ordering Mordecai. We're we're seeing her take this position and start to shape what it's going to look like. And and as this conversation begins to unfold, we, we see that at the beginning, Mordecai kind of scolds Esther You're not going to escape this. You or your household are going to befall the same judgment as all the Jews. Don't think you're going to get out of it. But then he inspires her. And he says, but who knows? If you aren't here for such a time as this. And of course, that is the central verse that most people know in this book. But what a way to encourage someone who knows i don't know who knows maybe it'll happen right don't you want more than a who knows you know when something is happening who knows maybe you'll be better maybe you won't who knows maybe you'll get the job maybe you won't why well, i want a more than a who knows right and I heard a couple of people speaking on this, and it's kind of funny because everyone wants to end with, okay, well, God knows, but that's not in the story. They don't know God knows. Yeah, we want to know, well, God knows all these things, but that's not the conversation. You don't know. That's the conversation. Who knows? But I still have to choose the right thing. But what he does is moves from this place of scolding her to a place of inspiring her. You see, that's the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist was the last of the prophets. And remember when they said, where Jesus talked about John the Baptist and himself, they said he had a demon. Why? Because he comes out with camel's hair and locusts and he's preaching this kind of fire and brimstone. Jesus, they said he was a drunkard. Why? Because he's hanging out with all these sinners. And you see, John was kind of fulfilling that Old Testament role of a prophet. But now Jesus is fulfilling the role of the Messiah who is actually representing God more clearly. There's a passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. It says, behold, my servant. This is spoken of Jesus. This is from the book of Isaiah whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out loud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Well, how is he going to do these things if he doesn't cry out? How is he going to bring justice if he is so meek? It is the heart of God that changes the heart of men. It is the opportunity that what if, who knows what God will do in your and my life if we will but listen and yield ourselves to do what is right and the possibility that God can use me to change the lives of the people around me if I would just yield to the right way of living, 
inspired Esther to the point that she risked her very life for this cause because it was a just cause. It was good. And she leaned into this. She stepped into her destiny and became the woman that she created to be. It did not look like destiny. It did not look like God was there. It looked like death was looming. And that is the door she had to step through. The pressure of our forced her to take her own life in her own hands. And I want to submit to you that your destiny requires you to take your own fate into your hands and to step in the right direction. That the destiny will not be found any other way than you taking hold and doing what you need to do. It's not going to just fall on you. They're not going to just jacket on me and say, hey, Sam, you won the Masters. I have to play the game and I have to win the game. And I will never get into the game unless I go to practice my swing every day. And I've got a terrible swing, so I stop playing golf. I slice it every time. If I don't put in the practice, that will not be my destiny. And you see, you and I were created for a purpose. And we have to step into those things. She acts within the convictions of that time, and yet she pushes the envelope and breaks some of the stereotypes that are there for females. She does what women don't do. And in coming into her own, she demonstrates the depth of this personal development within her. She did not give in to all the luxuries. She stepped into the role, identifying herself with the children of Israel. She's politically savvy. She's got diplomatic skill. She's got great time. She's strategic to use her charm and even her sexuality in this situation at this time to benefit these people. She becomes a godly feminine hero, a real activist at that time. You know, when we have hurricanes and events that are traumatic, they have something that they call a perfect storm, right? And it's an expression that describes an event where a rare combination of circumstances action drastically. And so with Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Harvey went from a Category 1 to a Category 4 in less than one day. It changed dramatically. And it happened because of the temperature on the water because it was so high as that storm came and encountered that water temperature, it aggravated the storm and it became fierce and caused the devastation that we saw. Perfect storm moments happen in our life all the time. 
In this story, we see that there is Esther herself, who's a beautiful woman. That's one of the elements. She had nothing to do with it, right? She could blame her mom and dad. You could say God, but God, again, isn't mentioned. It was her DNA that allowed her to be a beautiful woman. That was one of the elements. She had uh, empathy and care for her people, even though she was removed from them. That was probably instilled by her cousin, Mordecai, raised up to understand that you belong to this people who believe in this God that allowed her to be in this situation which required her willingness to step into the moment that brought about drastic change. It was a perfect storm that she was in. And there's something about that. Out of all the people on earth, she was the only one who could fulfill this place. You see, but this story is multiplied in this room by every one of you here. You are the only one like you. And you are the only one can do what you alone can do. And there are going to be circumstances in your life where you are the one required with the skill set you have, with the DNA that you have, with the situation that you're in to make a difference. It could be something as small as a smile. A few weeks back, Ben shared a little bit of his testimony, how when he was homeless and when he was using, how someone just being kind to him could make all the difference and helped switch his life. See, you you don't realize it, but it could be something that small, a hug, a saying, hey, I care, showing that kind of attentiveness, giving someone a little help. In midweek, and uh, as we're going through the book, we saw that there was a gentleman who helped Irwin's mom that catapulted her life in direction. The littlest things can mean the biggest things to other people but you have to be there for such a time as this. And these moments are happening all around us. But you see, if Esther was just in her palace, living her life detached from the people, detached from Mordecai, she would have missed this opportunity. She wanted to cover it. Here's some new clothes. Put these clothes on. He sent back the letter and said, no, clothes will not fix this. Read it. And then she actually entered into it. And then we see she's ordering him get the people to fast. Because I'm going to risk my life for this cause. These moments that happen frequently, but we rarely notice. We don't see God in this destiny. We don't see God in this moment. It's going below the radar. We're like Mordecai and we ask, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen in this situation? Who knows if this will turn out good? Who knows if this will turn out bad? Who knows what the results will be? Who knows what these things are? And we do not know. And if you find yourself there, thinking, I can't do this. Realize that you are the only one who can do it. And stepping into this opportunity, we actually realize our self. We become aware of who we really are 
when we step into the moments that are before us. If you find yourself there, instead of thinking, I can't do this, thinking, I have to do this. I have to do this, not only for those around me, I have to do this to fulfill my life's purpose. And then that moment's yours. If you take the risk, who knows what will happen? You might save a nation. You might save a life. Save your own soul. Risk is a part of being a true follower of Jesus. Jesus risked his life so that we could have life. He gave us an example. Instead of shying away from the difficulty, be willing to put on sackcloth, step into it, and find the destiny that God has for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we live in a culture that is sterile, that tries to run from every sense of grief and suffering, that tries to medicate, tries to buy, tries to overcome the situation by putting on a different pair of clothes. And yet our souls are still hurting and yet our world is still hurting and yet the whole society that we live in is showing the signs of decay all around us that we can't hide from. We can't escape it. And so instead of trying to build a bubble that we can hide in, to get behind the, the king's gates or be get, get behind the church doors to, to get away from the problem. Who knows? God, maybe if we would actually step in to the heartache of this world, maybe if we would actually break down and cry. Maybe if we would fast. Maybe if we would give ourselves to what is right. Who knows? If we weren't created for such a time as this, that the hope that our country and this world is crying for is actually before us each day. We are here for such a time as this. May we not lose this opportunity to step into the life that you have created us for. As everyone's praying right now, I want to challenge like Mordecai did to Esther. You will not escape the tragedy that is in this world it will befall you like it befalls every other person. But you, like Esther, have been created for a reason. The reason is bigger than yourself. 
The reason is going to extend you beyond yourself. But if you've been hiding from that destiny, if you feel like you have maybe closed your ears to the call that is on your life, but you see it, you hear it now and would like to step into that, would you stand with me and say, I hear your voice calling me to more, God, and I want more for myself and for the people around me. If you sense that, would you stand here? And like the challenge to Esther, you are going to respond to that challenge by showing up every day and how you live and how you interact with others. You are taking the responsibility for your destiny today. God, you see these who are standing. Lord, you see our hearts as we desire more than what we are experiencing now. And your call is extending out to each of us, Father, and it is pulling us towards your heart. But God, sometimes it's pulling us through some dark things that we have to deal with, that we have to go through, that we will have to encounter to get to where we need to be. And we are saying we are here. We trust you. And who knows what will happen. But we can do nothing else. For we are created for such a time as this. Lord, I pray you would bless and honor everyone who is standing here. Empower them by the strength of your spirit to go through whatever is before them, whatever heartache is there, whatever difficulties are there, Lord. May you equip them today for the tomorrow that they are stepping into. Lord, we just need to show up. And we are here saying, show us. Let's all stand together. May you recognize that for a perfect storm to take place, that you are one of the ingredients necessary. For change to take place in your life and in the lives of those around you, it requires you to show up today so that you can fulfill what God has created for you tomorrow. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you Wednesday. Take care of one another. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.